0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Prison kind of gives you that feeling like you want to island up on yourself. You don't feel like a resident of anything. You just feel like you locked up. And wherever they want to send you, they send you. Wherever they want you to be, you be. So it's it's not a home.
2: Some of the most powerless people in the U.S. are prisoners. But prisoners are used to shift how political power is distributed. And that's what we're going to be talking about on this episode of NPR's Code Switch, Census Watch 2020. I'm Shireen Marisol Miraji The character Augustus Hill from the HBO prison drama Oz breaks this down way better than I ever will. Here he is explaining how prisoners, the census, and political power are all connected. He says the census counts prisoners as residents of the town they're incarcerated in.
1: Not where they lived before they got convicted. So what, you say? The state uses these numbers to determine
0: election districts. A senator from a white rural area with a prison can count the inmates as his constituents. Those inmates, who are largely of color, aren't allowed to vote. The senator has no allegiance to them at all. The census is senseless.
2: So people who agree with that last statement, that the census is senseless when it comes to the way prison population is used to decide certain voting districts... Call this prison gerrymandering. And one way of doing this is to use the prison count to fill up a voting district with non-voters. This can result in local elected officials representing constituents who can't hold them accountable. And in a lot of cases, what this looks like is a white elected official representing disproportionately Black and Latinx prisoners who cannot vote. NPR's Hansi Lo Wong has been reporting on this. He covers the people, power, and money behind the 2020 census. He's also a Code Switch alum. We're very proud of him. Welcome home, Hansi.
3: Thank you, Shereen. It's good to be home. And it's always good to talk about my favorite subject, the census. Which is coming at us really fast. That's right. It officially starts in January in remote Alaska. But for just about everyone else, there are less than six months until you can start filling out the census. And with a big count comes this complicated question that Code Switch producer Kumari Devarajan and I have been reporting out for the past few months. The question is, where should incarcerated people be counted? Are they residents of where they're incarcerated? Or are they residents of where they lived before they were locked up?
2: These are great questions and ones that I have to say I haven't thought about. So I'm really looking forward to this.
3: Well, we did the work for you because we talked to researchers, government officials, and prisoners. And we learned that the answers to those questions have big implications on how local governments are set up, including how voting districts are drawn.
4: There are lots of places across the country that still suffer from prison gerrymandering.
3: It can leave prison towns in an identity crisis. It changes our demographic makeup, um, and there is no doubt about that. And it has consequences on how incarcerated people are
1: represented politically. Forgive me for not being able to articulate this the way I want to, but it's almost like your body being used.
2: Hansi, why does the Census Bureau count incarcerated people where they're imprisoned rather than where they lived before they were in
3: prison? The Census Bureau has this guideline for determining a person's residence for the census, it's where you live and sleep for most of a year. And so for Mm. prisoners, the Census Bureau considers their residence to be the prisons. In other words, they'll be counted where they're incarcerated on Census Day, which is going to be April 1st, 2020. And the thing to keep in mind for some context is that it's been this way since the very first U.S. Census, all the way back in 1790, Critics of this policy say it doesn't make sense to count prisoners this way today. And Kumari and I wanted to figure out how this actually plays out on the ground. So we went to Wisconsin.
2: Which is one of the whitest states in the country. And we also know from the 2010 census that Wisconsin has the highest incarceration rate for black men in the United States. In Wisconsin, one in eight black men are in prison.
3: Yeah, we visited a small, rural town outside the city of Milwaukee. It's called Wapan. And in this one town, there are three state prisons with a total of more than 3,000 incarcerated people. We just pulled over our car. We're here at an edge of the city of Wupon, And there's a sign here that says, Waupun population 10,718. And that includes prisoners. We can see right across this cornfield here, they're behind a chain-link fence with barbed wire on top. We can see some inmates walking around a basketball court in gray sweatshirts and sweatpants. In this town, around one out of four people is incarcerated.
2: Wow, one out of four? That's huge.
3: We drove past two of the prisons in upon, but we actually went inside the oldest one, it's called Waupun Correctional Institution. The first buildings were built before the Civil War, back in the 1850s. It's a maximum security prison. Most of the prisoners here were convicted of violent crimes. And the prison's warden...
2: Just use that. I'll put that in my book. We're good. Very
3: good. He led us into the visitors' area where we spoke with prisoners, all of whom are studying to get a bachelor's degree. Do you feel like residents of Waupon, Wisconsin?
1: Not at all. I don't even consider that there is a community outside these walls. One of the
3: prisoners we met, his name is Kenneth McGowan. He's Black, and before he entered prison in Waupon, he was living in Milwaukee, which is about an hour and a half drive away, and 40% Black. Compare that to Wapan, which is about 12% Black, Mm. including the prison population, according to the 2010 census.
2: So Kenneth is from the city of Milwaukee, and now he's in prison in this town, that has very few black people in it.
3: Right. And he still has a lot of family back in Milwaukee. He told us his mother, his father, three sisters, nieces and nephews, some he's never met before, are all still back in Milwaukee. But again, according to Census Bureau policy, Kenneth McGowan is considered a resident of Wapan, even though he hasn't seen much of this town. What do you see through the windows?
1: It depends. Like, <laughs> you see the roofs, the houses like the shingles, chimneys, the top of trees that's on the other side of the walls. You know, all the
3: prisoners we talked to, they told us they don't know much about this town, but they actually play a key part in this community. Remember, they make up more than a quarter of the town's population, and their numbers are included in the official population counts from the Census Bureau that determine how the local government is set up. The prison that they're serving time in is part of one of the town's local voting districts. And each of those districts is represented by a local elected official known as an older person who lives down the block, Peter Kazmarski. He's technically representing you. Have you, have you ever heard? Not you? at all. Yeah. Not until you came. Huh. We also met another prisoner, Robert Alexander. He's also black and lived in Milwaukee before he was locked up in Wapan.
1: Right now what you told me is like brand new information. So yeah, I don't know who the older person is, you know, I didn't even know that that was the framework here in this city.
3: So we walked them through the implications of being counted in Wapan for the census as prisoners and how their numbers are used to draw voting districts for these elected officials. And this all just left them in a state of shock.
1: Forgive me for not having been able to articulate this the way I want to, but it's almost like your body being used.
2: Hansi. Robert and Kenneth and all the other prisoners housed in the Wapon Correctional Institution make up how much of this local alder person's district?
3: About 76 percent.
2: 76 percent. That is more than I expected.
3: Yeah, this is according to analysis by the research and advocacy group, the Prison Policy Initiative. They crunched the numbers and they found out that about 76% of older person Peter Kosmarski's district is made up of incarcerated people. Huh?
2: And I know they were probably still processing all this information that you were sharing with them, but did you happen to ask Robert or Kenneth if there were any issues they'd flag for Mr. Kosmarski if they could?
3: Yeah, we we did get a chance to ask them. Here's Robert Alexander.
1: There are some things that need to be addressed as far as uh, something as simple as showering every day. The things that he has to uh, do and the things that he has to account for, maybe on a much higher scale than what I'm personally speaking about, I would still like that question addressed because while I'm in this small environment, the things that are important to me are still important to me. What could the alderman do to
3: best represent the population in here? And here's Kenneth
1: McGowan. The drinking water in prison is horrible. I'm talking about you have to have your light on in your cell when you're drinking water because if you push the button. Sometimes it comes out brown. The water that we drink in here is not the same as out there. And for me, I think it's not fair.
2: So these prisoners want pretty basic things. They want clean drinking water and they'd like to have a shower every day. Yeah. You did talk to a couple of the Alder people
3: in Wapan. Do you know how many people are in the facility that you're representing? No. Have you ever wanted to know? Because they're residents in your district.
1: There's no comment.
2: After the break, we're going to hear more from Wapons elected officials whose districts are predominantly made up of prisoners who can't vote and are disproportionately African-American. Stay with us.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover.
5: A high-performing business takes a high-performing building. Reach organizational goals while enhancing systems and reducing emissions with Train Energy Services. Explore their consultative approach at train.com/energy-services. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa, host of NPR's Latino USA, and this week we bring you a portrait of Isabel Allende.
4: My job as a writer, as an activist, as a philanthropist, as a feminist, is to create awareness and to say, "Okay, this is what I see."
5: It's Latino USA from NPR. Listen and subscribe now. Shereen, Hansi, code switch.
2: Hansi, you went with Code Switch producer Kumari Devarajan to Waupun, Wisconsin, to see firsthand what it looks like when voting districts are mostly made up of prisoners who can't vote. Wapan is home to three prisons, more than 3,000 incarcerated people, and those prisoners are disproportionately Black and Latinx. And we know from the census that Wapan is close to 85 percent white. But keep in mind that number of factors in the prison population. So the small town outside the walls of those three prisons is even wider.
3: And we did get a tour beyond the walls of the prison where Robert Alexander and Kenneth McGowan are serving time.
6: You can see it spans an entire city block easily or more. The community's sort of been built up around it.
3: So you just passed by the library?
6: We just passed by the library.
3: We drove around with um, the, the city feelers, administrator, left Kathy left. Schlieve, who's white. Kathy Schlieve's job is to keep this town running by carrying out decisions made by the mayor and the older people. So she knows her way around Wapan. And what struck us during this tour was just how physically embedded the prisons are in these neighborhoods in Wapon. People's homes are just across the street from the prisons. Mm-hmm. And the home that Kathy Schleeve grew up in was near a prison. I
6: grew up down the street, by the way. My father was a prison guard. My grandfather was a prison guard. It is what brought them to this area. Um, and so it's just kind of always been a part of normal for, for my family. You
3: know, a lot um, of people we met outside the prisons really have these connections it. to them because... The prison system is one of the town's main employers. The three prisons have been a main driver of Wapan's economy for decades. But Kathy Sleeve told us city officials they see a cost to this, a trade off to having incarcerated people included in the town's population count. It really dilutes the
6: socioeconomic profile of the community. So our post-secondary attainment looks different than maybe what it is for the average citizen here, as does things like our average household income. So even how we think about recruiting retail, it becomes a much bigger challenge when the data is not depicting the reality of the community that's outspending the dollars.
2: Hmm, so it sounds like Kathy wouldn't mind erasing the prison population to make Wapan seem like a more affluent, better educated, whiter community.
3: Well, in fact, the city commissioned a study that was published in 2009. City officials, they wanted to produce a profile that shows what the town would look like if you removed the prison population. Hmm. It's part of this ongoing rebranding effort. Did you know Wapan is known as the city of sculpture? Let's go check more out that's been trying to change Wapan from being known as Prison City to the City of Sculpture.
2: Quite a change.
3: Well, there's a pamphlet about the bronze sculptures scattered around Wapan. It's home to the iconic end-of-the-trail sculpture, a fitting tribute to the Native American Indian. And if you go on the town's website, you'll see a newer tagline, Naturally Adventurous. (laughs) with a photo of a family biking through a local marsh.
2: Ah, naturally adventurous. Was there any mention of the three prisons in town?
3: No, I couldn't find any mention of a prison Hmm. on the homepage. But the thing is, no city officials that we know of is calling for these prisons to be closed. But there is an effort to keep them in the background as they try to attract more tourists, more business developers. And what you have is this uneasy relationship playing out, especially when you take a closer look at how the local government is set up.
6: All right, good evening. Welcome to the city of Upan special common council
3: meeting. Kamari and I went to city hall to see the local government officials in action. This is at a common council meeting where they usually vote on budgets, plans to repave the city streets or improve the sewer system. the mayor, who's a former prison guard, she was there, and so was older person Peter Kazmarski, who represents the district that includes the prison where Robert Alexander and Kenneth McGowan are locked up. But Peter Kazmarski isn't the only older person representing a district made up primarily of prisoners. Hi, hmm. Ryan Milkey.
6: You
3: know, during this meeting, Ryan Milkey, another older person, was getting sworn in again. He's been on the Common Council for more than seven years now, and he had just been re-elected to represent a district with one of the prisons in town. So
4: help me God. State I will. I will. Congratulations.
5: Thank you.
3: If you go back on the city's website, it says that older people rely on, quote, input from residents to, quote, ensure a citizen-centered process when they're making decisions on behalf of everyone in Wapan. But Ryan Milkey, who represents prisoners at Dodge Correctional Institution, he told us he has never visited that prison before. There's no reason to communicate on property I don't have access to. Have you ever entered the facility?
1: No. No.
3: Do you know how many people are in the facility that you're representing? No. Have you ever wanted to know? Because they're residents in your district?
1: There's no comment.
2: What percentage of Ryan Milkey's voting district is made up of prisoners?
3: About 61 percent, according to the Mm. Prison Policy Mm. Initiative's analysis.
2: And he's never attempted to meet any of the people in the prison that make up 61 percent of his district?
3: Yeah. And having mostly prisoners who can't vote in his district, that means it's easier for him to win elections compared to other older people in other districts without prisoners. Right. Right. You know, this year, older person Ryan Milkey was reelected with just 43 votes.
2: I'm also curious about the other older person that we brought up who represents Robert Alexander and Kenneth McGowan and all the other prisoners in the Waupon Correctional Institution. Did you have a chance to talk to him?
3: Yeah, that's Peter Kazmarski, And he told us he has never visited Wapan Correctional Institution either. It's one of the prisons in his district. But this was a building I guess you've seen very often or passed by. Yes, it's right down the street from my house.
2: Down the street from his house, but he's never been inside.
3: Right. Peter Kosmarski told us that he's serving his 10th year as an older person. He told us he takes that position very seriously. Now, one year he lost the election and he says he went to every common council meeting for two years.
2: Okay, that's dedication.
3: Right. And he says from his experience compared to other residents in his district, representing constituents who are behind bars is very different.
1: No one is there for me to knock on the door
3: to say, what do you think? And he said it can be hard to represent people he's never
1: met before. You almost have to think for them because you don't perhaps have that day-to-day interaction.
2: Ooh, That's quite a statement (laughs) that he has to think for the residents of his district who are in prison. I am very curious what they would think of that.
3: Well, we we asked Robert Alexander.
2: Oh,
1: good. There's no way that he can say what we feel unless he decides to come in and talk to us.
2: Well, you and our producer Kumari Devarajan got into the prison. How hard was it?
1: It took a few
3: emails and phone calls that Kumari made, plus a background check. But we figured it out over about two months and, you know, Kamari actually asked a Wisconsin Department of Corrections spokesperson, Claire Hendricks, about this issue.
5: For someone who
4: represents the prison population on common council, city council, any message for them?
2: If you want to come see what it's about, we're welcome to have you um, just work with us. You know, I,
4: we have state senators and representatives come through a number of our institutions
3: pretty regularly. Um, we're welcome to it. You know, when I was researching, I did find out about this community relations board that brings together prison officials and city officials in Wapan a few times a year to discuss prison issues. Hmm. I found out about it through the prison's annual report. And neither older person we talked to is currently on that board. Huh. But you know who is on it? Who? Kathy Schlieve, the city administrator.
2: She's the one who took you on that tour. She talked about how the census counting prisoners was really making her town less marketable. Yes, Kathy Schlieve, I remember her.
3: Right. She also said that prisoners should still be counted as residents of Wapan, in part because the town is providing services for the prisoners. She pointed to the ambulances and police and fire department services that the prisons rely on.
6: What I would say is bad. purely because we are providing those protective services and, and infrastructure pieces, um, I I think it's appropriate as it is. Um, I think we will follow the letter
2: of the law. What does Wisconsin state law say about this?
3: Well, the law is complicated, so I called up the Prison Policy Initiative. They're the main advocacy and research group on prisoners and the census. They want to change the way prisoners are counted. And the group's legal director, Alex Kaisura, told me this is not an easy thing to do in Waupon.
4: Wapon was kind of put in a bind because Waupon is in Wisconsin, where there's an attorney general opinion that concluded that the counties and cities are required to base their districts on census data pretty much no matter how absurd the result. So if I'm hearing this right, A former
2: Wisconsin attorney general wrote an opinion saying that in the state of Wisconsin, you have to use the census count for redistricting purposes,
3: period. Right. Okay. And I asked Waupon City officials about this. They told me they're interpreting Census Bureau policy to mean that they have to count prisoners in their community. Some other prison towns, though, they have come up with ways to spread out the number of prisoners across districts you know, the thing to remember here is that the federal government has been counting prisoners like this where they're incarcerated for the census since 1790. What has changed is just the massive
4: scale of incarceration in the United States. So what worked for the country in 1790 just doesn't work anymore. Even up until the 1970s, the incarcerated population was low enough that it did not impact redistricting when people were counted in the wrong place.
3: And now some states are trying to change that in part because prison populations have gotten so big over the decades. Which states? Laws have been passed in California, Delaware, Maryland, New York, and most recently in Nevada and Washington State, and maybe soon in Wisconsin. In September, some state lawmakers introduced a bill. And there's also this ongoing lawsuit in Connecticut led by the NAACP chapter there, all trying to end what some call prison gerrymandering in state and local redistricting. These are efforts to require prisoners to be counted at their last recorded address before they were imprisoned.
2: Are there any other populations that are treated this way? This whole time we've been talking about how the Census Bureau counts prisoners as residents of where they're incarcerated. Who else gets counted like that?
3: Well, people who are in immigration detention centers, mm. they're counted as residents of those ICE facilities. Whoever is in an ICE facility on Census Day, April 1st, 2020, they'll be counted where those facilities are according to Census Bureau policy. Mm. And there are other groups in other complicated living situations when it comes to the census, for example, college students living away from home, including international students, and u s troops deployed overseas.
2: Yeah, but there's a difference there. College students who are eighteen and older and are American citizens, uh, they can vote. <laughs> right? right. Uh, so can u s troops who are eighteen or older and are u s. citizens? so mm-hmm. that's different than prisoners who live in forty eight states in this country.
3: Yeah. And that's part of what makes this issue of where to count prisoners so contentious. You know, for the most part, this issue has been split largely along party lines. Most supporters who want to change the way prisoners are counted are Democrats, while Republicans generally want to keep things the way they are. Interesting. And this would mean that rural, predominantly white prison towns get their population numbers boosted by prison numbers Mm -hmm. made up disproportionately by black and Latinx prisoners. You know, it's going to be interesting after the 2020 census when some state and local governments start redrawing their voting districts. You know, we'll see exactly what happens in those places. They'll start moving prisoner numbers away from these prison towns and back to their last home addresses on record.
2: It sounds like you're going to have to go out and do some reporting and update us because I want to know how that looks.
3: I'm always game for reporting out the census. So let's do that.
2: <laughs> Hansi Lo Wong, census
3: nerd. Forever, for life. Um <laughs> And, you know, advocates I talk to say what's probably going to happen is not going to be a smooth process, but they say it will be more correct than counting prisoners at the prisons.
2: Did the prisoners you spoke with, Robert or Kenneth, have strong feelings or any feelings about where they're counted, whether that's in the prison they're incarcerated in or back at home where they lived before they were in prison?
3: You know, it's complicated for many of them. You know, many... Incarcerated people, after they're released, they don't end up going back to the same places where they were living before they were locked up. These are people who have been uprooted for years, some for decades. Right. You know, take Robert Alexander, for example. Mr. Alexander, do you do you feel like a resident of Waupon, Wisconsin?
1: No, it's like prison kind of gives you that feeling like you're on an island up on yourself.
3: You know, he's at Waupun Correctional Institution. And He's not expected to be released from prison until 2030. Which means, you know, for now, this idea of
1: home and where he belongs is really in limbo. You don't feel like a resident of anything. You just feel like you locked up and wherever they want to send you, they send you. Wherever they want you to be, you be. So it's, it's not a home. You know, you never in a position where you make this home because you're always planning to exit.
2: NPR's Hansi Lo Wang, he covers the people, power, and money behind the 2020 census. And that's our show. For all the 2020 census updates, follow Hansi Lo Wang on Twitter at Hansi Lo Wang. And while you're at it, you can follow us on Twitter too. We're at NPR Codeswitch. And you know we love hearing from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. You can send us your tricky questions about race with the subject line Ask Switch." And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash codeswitch. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Subscribing is free, so go ahead and do it. It doesn't cost any money. And this episode was produced by Kumari Devarajan and edited by Leah Danella and me. And I want to give a shout out to the rest of the Codeswitch fam, Jean Denby, Jess Kung, Maria Pascual pierrez Karen Gridsby bates Kat Chow, Sammy Yenigun, Adrian Florido, and Steve Drummond. Our intern is Angela Vang. And I want to take just a brief moment to acknowledge Kat Chow. She's been a member of the Codeswitch team for the past six years. She was here from the very beginning. But starting this month, she's off to do other things. Good luck, Kat. We're going to miss you. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji and Jean's back next week.
4: Peace.
1: Emmy, Grammy, Tony, and Oscar winner John Legend has a saying, luck is just opportunity meeting preparation.
0: By the time I was in that room with Lauren Hill, I was ready for her to hear me. By the time I was
3: in that room with Kanye, I was ready for him to hear me. John Legend on The Secret to His Continued Success. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.